It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, August 13th. We've got four players making signature runs at this week's 1,000-level event happening north of the border, of course, on today's show. I want to break down Saturday's semifinal round for all of you listeners. Talk about how we got to our upcoming championship Sunday, of course, on the women's side. That means further discussion on the excellence of both Beatrice Haddad Maya and Simona Halep. Of course, the 26-year-old Haddad Maya was already in the midst of a breakout 2022 campaign prior to the start of this week's action, but she earns herself a signature run, reaching the first 1,000-level singles final of her career via a straight-set victory over Karolina Pliskova. Haddad Maya showed off that skill set once again tonight, a wide variety of things that she can do successfully on the court. Of course, she's a top 50 server this year in terms of hold percentage on the WTA Tour, and she needed to use that serve to keep pace with a very much informed Karolina Pliskova. But again, it was the variety of skills Haddad Maya brings to the court, not only the plus one excellence, but the physicality, the defensive prowess. She needed it all to overcome a 5-2 deficit in the second set, ultimately advance in straights. Want to break down the mechanics of that match on today's show, and then of course talk about how Simona Halep managed to come from behind. She earns a three-set victory today over Jessica Pegula, 2-6-6-3-6-4. Of course, for Simona Halep, she, by the numbers, has been the second-best player on the WTA Tour this season. She and Iga Sviantek, the only players who rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage you look for. Halep, she's also a ridiculous now 37-10 and 10 overall on the year, winning 79% of her matches. Typically, that would have you in the top 10, top 5 discussion. But of course, prior to this week, Simona Halep had not reached a final on the WTA Tour since the first week of the season. Now she's into another final once again here as she earns a three-set victory again over Jess Pagula. She just frustrated the hell out of Jess Pagula by the end of that match. And perhaps some of you have seen the clip going around Twitter where Jessica Pagula accuses Simona Halep of being a push. Guess what? That physicality is why Simona Halep is a two-time Grand Slam champion, five-time Grand Slam finalist, former world number one, because she can do such a wide variety of things. Of course, she served poorly to start the match, but you know her ability to uh, improve uh, play via the plus one and then that ability to absorb your best blow to the point of frustration. She showed it all off. We can talk about it again here on today's show. Of course, on the men's side, how about Hubi freaking Hercots into another Masters final in Toronto, excuse me, in Montreal. This time, it's via three-set victory. Come from behind over Casper Ruud. Hubi is just the definition 
of what you expect out of the modern ATP player, the size, the variety, the power, the weapons. He can do a little bit of everything, and he had to do a little bit of everything, including take the legs out from underneath Kasparud by the end of that match. I want to talk again about why Hubi has not only been one of the best players here in 2022, he really has been one of the guys in the mix at every big event since the start of last season. I can make my case for that point here once again on today's show them last but certainly not least how about the gem we got to finish today's play Pablo Carreño Busta three set victory over Dan Evans as always and as expected match between two of those caliber of players was always going to be physical this one certainly was the precision of Dan Evans matched only by the relentlessness of Pablo Carreño Busta I'll explain what I mean and break down that match of course offer a sneak preview as well or at least my brief thoughts on tomorrow's final. Of course, the reason we're able to do all of that here day in, day out at Cracked Records is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. We're immensely grateful that you trust us to keep you up to date on everything that's happening in the tennis world. Of course, a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their continued support as well. They understand fans everywhere deserve a daily show to keep up with all of the action. And the only reason we're able to do it is because they're willing to support us through that. Of course, you all know the deal. They also support tennis players everywhere by providing the best equipment at the lowest prices. You know all the information, so I'll simply say tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. One quick note before we start today's podcast, and it is tennis-related, so don't feel the need to hit the skip 30 seconds ahead. I don't have another advertisement for all of you listeners. I do want to simply say shout-out to the schedulers in Canada. So frequently, and we've certainly experienced this over the past few weeks when you've got five events happening simultaneously across the globe, so often we see the schedules overlap, and you've got four matches all happening at you know 11 a.m. Eastern time, or you've You've got three matches at 11, then the other two matches are both happen to happen at 2 p.m. And it's just impossible to follow all of the action closely at once. Shout out to our friends in Canada. They staggered everything. One o'clock start for the first women's semifinal in Toronto, which is, of course, the further east of the two cities. 3 p.m. start for Montreal. Uh, Montreal. 6 p.m. start for the Toronto night session. 8 p.m. start for the Montreal night session. It's beautifully timed. And yeah, did some of the matches bleed over a little bit? That's a testament to the quality of the tennis, but never more for more than half an hour. And just it allowed me and I think allowed fans everywhere to focus in on the action. And it shouldn't be this hard to coordinate between events. Certainly given both the men's and women's event, our National Bank opens its inner tournament coordination, which you would really hope we get right at this point in the tennis world. And again, shout out to Canada. They did get it right, but hopefully others take note because this was a delightful from a flow and viewing perspective day on the tennis calendar. And so we got to, you know, we so frequently criticize when the schedule does have us in flux. Got to give a shout out when we get it right. So shout out to the National Bank Open staff. With that said, again, going to keep today's podcast probably on the shorter side. We'll go through our four matches, talk about our two finals matchups as well. Let's start with the action that happened in Toronto. Let's start with Simona Halep against Jess Pegula. Three-set match, extraordinarily physical. Would I call it the best tennis of Simona Halep's career? I don't think it would be fair for me to do that. You look for Simona Halep, who again, 
gets through with a 2-6-6-3-6-4 victory. She was shaky on serve, in particular at the start of this match, but to be honest, throughout the course of the match. And ultimately, she hits 10 double faults, four of them coming in set number one. That first serve percentage, 52% in the first set. Now, she ultimately does get it up to 60% by the end of the match, but Simona Halep is not someone who's afraid to show her frustration when she is experiencing it on court. And we saw that frustration in spades through the course of the first set. And credit to Jess Pagula, who comes out out of the gates and has a couple breakpoint chances. Halep's able to hold 4-1 love. Pagula matches was an easy hold. She goes up a break 2-1. She faces two early breakpoints on serve. And there were a ton of breakpoints throughout the course of this match, 30 in total between the two players. Pagula came out striking the ball so confidently and just playing front-first aggressive on her terms tennis. Go watch the difference between sets one and sets two and three. Look how much more frequently Jessica Pagula is approaching the net in that first set. And even when Simona Halep passed her, and Halep did pass her from time to time, she came up with this brilliant on-the-stretch backhand pass when Pagula hit a backhand cross-court volley to the open court. Halep somehow able to track it down, flick a little short-angle cross-court backhand as a passing shot winner. You know, that was to fight off a game point. What does Pagula, or to set up a break point, excuse me, for 15 40. What does Pagula do on the next two points? Big serve T, big serve T, do side, add side. We're back to do. She follows it up with another big serve into the body, plus one uh, successful shot for the advantage point. And then ace out wide, two hold, 4 3 1, solidify her lead early in the match. And again, whether it was her moving forward, her confidence, proficiency, comfort level at the net, you know, Jess Pagula can play. And obviously her doubles success, she's won a couple of titles, had multiple big runs at big events in doubles. You know, the prowess of her return, the depth she's able to generate that ball service liner deeper every time, so often peppered at the feet of the server. Pagula was just the aggressor in set number one. And again, the frustration on surfer Halep transitioned into or bled into, I should say, some of the errors she started making going for balls she probably shouldn't have early in the rally. And just, you know, again, Pagula had her on a string. There wasn't much Halep could do. She was playing so much defense in set number one. But then to start set number two, Halp faces a couple of break points, hits a big serve into the body, which she follows up with a plus one forehand for 30-40, then an unreturned ace down the tee, or not an ace, but a service winner down the tee for deuce. That seemed to get her going, and she holds for one love. Then there was just a little bit more depth, a little bit more aggression in the Simona Halep return of serve in set number two. But most importantly, she stayed relentless. And when she earned the break, two successful passing shots in that game to break just Pagula. And you could see the confidence of Pagula waver in that moment. And she became a little bit more hesitant moving forward to the net. Started playing far more drop shots, which had some success against Halep because, again, Halep was so frequently pushed six feet behind the baseline. But unless you're hitting a perfect drop shot, Simona Halep's going to track that ball down. And her ability to start getting to track down those drop shots, playing approach shots deep and, you know, landing overheads confidently. She fights off a break point with this beautiful short angle cross court overhead that 
Obviously, I don't even think she meant to hit as perfectly as she did. And, you know, again, the physicality, the totality of what Simona Halep does to you, just injecting that doubt into your game, it began to add up. And for Simona Halep, she takes the second set, 6-3, races off to a 5-2 lead in set number two. But as we had seen for Simona Halep at the end of the first set in her first round match uh, here at this event against, or excuse me, second round match against Jill Teichman, same deal when she served for it in the, her quarterfinal match against Coco Goff, she got shaky. She got broken again, and credit to Pagula, who comes out, holds a couple big serves, 4-4-5, four, four, but, you know, again, love 15 down, Simona Halep connects on a plus-one forehand inside out. She then hits a service winner, 4-15, and just seemed to have her groove back. Now, again, for Simona Halep, 10 double faults on the day, serving for the match, you get broken. She got lucky to get away with it for the third consecutive match in a deciding set. That said... Halep stayed relentless. And you look at the numbers for Simona Halep, once again, she's 74 and 21, so winning 78% of her matches, 74 and 21 since August 2020. You look for her now overall, she's into her fifth final during that span of time. She's made 10 different uh, semifinals during that span of time. Of course, you look for her this season, she's now 7 and 3 against top 20 opponents. That number surprises me, and certainly she's gotten two of those wins this week against Coco Goff, against Jessica Pagula, but, you know, again, given her record in semifinals this year, you look for Simona Halep overall on the year. She's made a bunch of semifinals. This is now her sixth semifinal in 11 total events. Obviously, that's prime Kim Kleister's Justine Ennin pace-wise sort of numbers, even if it is far fewer events, only 11, but she's now two and four in those semifinal rounds, technically two and five. This is technically her seventh semifinal if you count the withdraw in Bad Hamburg right before Wimbledon. You know, again, maybe it's who she's lost to in those semifinals, to lose to an unseeded Ostapenko being up a set and a break, to lose to Haddad Maya in three sets, to lose, you know, to Rabakina in straight sets in the fashion she did, serving as poorly as she did in the Wimbledon semifinal. This is certainly her signature run. Again, second final on the year. The first came in the opening event of the season in Melbourne, where she ultimately won the title. But you look for Simona Halep. This is her 40th tour-level final of her career. Let me say that again. 40th tour-level final. According to Tennis Abstract, it's her 23rd at the premier level. You just look for the pace she's been on and her com- and comparing those numbers to some of the other players we've seen over the course of the past decade, you look uh, for Simona Halep. And again, shout out to our friends on Twitter for these stats in particular. Shout out to Opta Ace. Only Serena Williams with 98 and Venus Williams with 83 have reached more tour-level finals than Simona Halep, who now has 42 amongst active players. So amongst everyone out there right now, the Pliskovas of I mean, we've had a lot of retirements recently, but you include the Kerbers, you include the Pliskovas, Simona Halep has more finals than them. She's now made 18 1,000 level finals in her career. That ties Serena for the most since 2009. Sharapova has 16. Azarenka has 15. Wozniacki has 12. Again, Halep and Serena have 18 total 1,000 level finals. 
that's remarkable. It truly is. And it speaks to the longevity of Simona Halep, who, again, from a numbers perspective, is still very much in the prime of her career. 78% win percentage, second highest number for her, uh, excuse me, third highest number of her career, career high hold percentage this season, break percentage above her career average. I mentioned it, the seven wins against top 20 opponents. You look for her against top 10 opponents this year. She's now four and three. Whenever you can average again above five top 10 wins a year that's when you're having one of those elite seasons now does she have a signature title run no she came close Madrid Indian Wells Rome Wimbledon she's had a lot of chances this year but no signature title run if she gets one here in Toronto again with Iga not playing quite as dominantly over the course of the past month and a half. And, you know, again, the volatility of the players like the Sakaris, Conteves, Sabalankas, in terms of their results, her singular dominance over Coco Gauff, I think she's won eight consecutive sets in their four head-to-head matches. Is there anyone you would definitively put above Simona Halep outside of Iga Sviantek, who has certainly earned that benefit of the doubt? But other than her, anyone definitively you put over Halep? I don't know if you can answer that question honestly with a yes, and you look for Simona Halep. Now, she's back where she belongs, back in the top 10 with this run up to number nine in the live ranking. She's seventh in the points race. Again, one of only two players to rank top 10 in both hold percentage and break percentage this season. You imagine after this week's run, all the ELO rankings going to reflect that fact. She's already number five in terms of yearly ELO. If she wins the title this week, would not shock me to see her jump Jabour, Kasatkina, and get to number two behind Iga Shvian. Tech, but credit to Simona. She was just the more solid of the two players. She wore Jess Pagula down, and you know now she's got that big mo going into one of the two slams she's yet to win. You look for Jess Pagula, still 29 and 15 overall on the year. Again, currently sitting at third in the points race, currently sitting top 10 in the WTA live rankings as well at a career high number seven. Things going extraordinarily well for the 28-year-old who played well enough to win this match and just, again, let her confidence waver for 20 minutes and Simona Halep made her pay and just Simona Halep made her life miserable. But I actually thought from an offensive perspective, again, the drive on Jessica Pagula's ground strokes, her confidence moving forward and taking advantage of any sitters by taking them out of the air – how confident she is as a mover, how aggressive she is as a returner. Again, I mentioned the serve in particular on the ad side, her ability to mix up T and out wide. Stock is high on Jess Pagula, who has to probably be in the top 10 conversation entering the U.S. Open. Now, will she be top five? Good run to follow up Canada in Cincinnati. I mean, she's going to be a top 10 seed, so why not a top five candidate? We'll see how the draw breaks out. Of course, that was semifinal number one. Semifinal number two, Beatrice Haddad Maya. And I'll try to be a bit quicker here on Haddad Maya. Lord knows we've spoken about her so much this week as she has earned such impressive victories over Fernandez, Sviantek, Benchich, and now Karolina Pliskova. 6-4-7-6 comes from 5-2 down in the second set. The moments of the match I would want to turn to. A, indicative of her prowess on serve. She won two-thirds of her first serve points. 54% of her second serve points was only broken twice throughout the course of this match. You know, again, what did she do particularly well? 15-30, she's serving for the set up 5-4. 
on that ball, she goes slider out wide, and she is the lefty, so she can generate such impressive angle. Had Pliskova spread all the way outside the alley. Plus one forehand to the open court. Pliskova tracked it down, but it was an easy second ball winner for Beatrice Haddad Maya. Inside out, 430 all. Again, a crunch moment. 1530, she goes to her go-to play. Slider out wide, plus one forehand to the open court. Then, of course, we got to see Beatrice Haddad Maya play uh, on the 40-30 point, play that slice hard into the body of Karolina Pliskova, which draws the forehand error and clinches her the set. Was remarkably impressive. That was the plus one prowess, the serving prowess. Again, she closes out that first set Six, four. Set number two, what was so impressive is how she managed to get that break back as Pliskova served for the set up, I believe it was either 5-4 or 5-3. I apologize. I think the game is slipping away from me, but 15 all point, 15-30 point. Beatrice Haddad Maya hits eight balls and 10 balls respectively, just down the center of the court with depth, with pace. Didn't give Pliskova any angle to work with. Didn't give her a short ball to work with. And again, Pliskova was striking the ball remarkably well from the baseline throughout the course of the match. And yet that relentless depth from Haddad Maya ultimately drew a short ball. And on each of them, one of them, Haddad Maya opens up with a massive inside-out forehand winner. On the other one, she goes inside-in. Showing off the variety, turning defense into offense, showing off the physicality. And again, then the 15-40 point, another skill in her set. And I know she's currently 27th in hold uh, break percentage, so she's not quite a top 25 member. I imagine she will be after this week's action. Haddad Maya, 15-40, steps up inside the baseline, early split step, attacks the serve on the rise, peppers it at Pliskova's feet. Pliskova misses the forehand wide. That's the break back, I believe, for 5-4. Uh, and then Haddad Maya serves and, and held for 5-all. Pliskova holds for 6-5. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the sequence of events. Leave that mumbling in, Super Producer Daniel Westoff. The point being, in each of those instances, you can go back and watch the highlights for themselves. We saw everything. The attacking return position the physicality, the ability to win free points on her own terms. Of course, she showed a willingness to volley. Her on-the-run forehand passing shot for 4-3 in the breaker, probably the breakaway highlight signature moment of the match. Haddad Maya has been incredible. 43-15 and 15 now overall on the season, and you look for her. It's her fifth final of the year, third in the past two months. Again, she won titles back-to-back, Nottingham, Birmingham, now into the final here in Toronto. She's made seven total quarterfinals overall on the year. You look at her record against top 20 opponents, Haddad Maya, now 7-1 and one overall against the top 20. She's 3-0 and oh against the top 10. I mean, she's 144 and 41 since August 2020. Since being out for a year with a doping suspension, she's played 185 matches. She's won 78% of them. Again, since August 2020, she's played in 15 now different finals. And yeah, the majority of them, all but three of them, happened at the ITF 125K or lower level. But 15 finals since August 2020. Total semifinals for during that stretch of time. 20 total semifinals during that stretch of time. Unbelievable longevity. A testament to the skill set. Again, you look at the serve. It's a top 15 number. She's holding 72.2% of the time. I do imagine the break percentage is going to get back in the top 25 after this week. Haddad Maya at 26 years old. She's just playing... 
at the peak of her powers. And again, Carolina Pliskova played extraordinarily well in this match. To see Pliskova, oh, another moment. 5-6, Carolina Pliskova, down match point. What does Pliskova do? She cranks a serve tee, opens up on a plus one, air inside in, inside out, two forehand combination, fights off the set point 4-7 all. How does Haddad Maya respond at 7-8 when she's down a set point? Exact same thing. Slider out wide, plus one forehand, draws an error, 8 all. Just, you know, and Plisko, by the way, does end the match with, with a double fault, which was an unfortunate ending. But, you know, to build that 5-2 lead, Pliskova was popping her backhands in particular, just started saying, okay, you're going to hit the slider out wide. I'm cheating over. I'm taking that ball early on the rise with my backhand and just was moving that ball extraordinarily well, was moving well in and out of the corners of the court and just, again, attacking her forehand on the ride, just doing all the things Carolina Pliskova needed to do, but she blinked in that five, in that 5-3 uh, service game and she didn't even blink. Haddad Maya just played extraordinarily well. Haddad Maya played like the now number 16 player in the world that she is. Haddad Maya, by the way, 11th now in the points race. And I do think she's worthy of being in that discussion for the year-end finals because as of right now, the only player who has more tour-level wins this season than Beatrice Haddad Maya is Iga Svantec. So again, credit to Pliskova, who played extraordinarily well, who earned great wins over Nisimova, Krachikova, Sakari, and Junction when this week. She got her mojo back, and I know I mentioned this yesterday, but Pliskova now currently sitting in the points race at 43rd, currently sitting in the rankings at 17th. Still in the mix. Still an opportunity to defend some serious points, obviously, for her coming up. Seven final, semifinals in Cincy, quarterfinals at the U.S. Open, but... Man, Haddad Maya is just on one right now. And certainly you look at the Haddad Maya-Simona Halep matchup. Simona Halep actually 2-1 and one in her career against Beatrice Haddad Maya. Now you look at where those matchups take uh, took place and when uh, they took place between these two. They played twice earlier this season. Halep, a straight set 2-0 victory at the Australian Open. Haddad Maya, a three-set victory in Birmingham. The only other time they played, of course, Wimbledon 2017. That was a straight set win for Simona Halep, obviously a lifetime ago for each player. Look, uh, the Beatrice Haddad Maya is serving better than Simona Halep. I think her serve plus one combination is the most effective and probably most powerful weapon on the court when it's landing. But Simona Halep has the sort of backhand that the angle Haddad Maya is able to produce with that slice serve and with her plus one forehand, you know, Halep's going to be able to neutralize it a little bit. Halep's obviously a little bit better than the outer thirds of the court, to say the least, than Karolina Pliskova. And it comes down to how well Simona Halep serves because, you know, again, Beatrice Haddad Maya won't get impatient in the way Jessica Pagula got impatient today during some of those baseline rallies. The drop shots aren't going to come from Beatrice Haddad Maya. Now, I don't know how much gas she has left in the tank. She's played about eight hours of tennis at least so far in Canada, but you know she's going to be willing to grind with Simona Halep. Simona Halep's going to have to be offensive. That said, when she's landing the first serve, she has had success being offensive throughout the course of this year. Now, it helps that these two have played twice already, and I do think more than anything else, three-set feels like the number. Simona Halep being a 77.2% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, that's too high. The match is going to be closer than that. And, you know, again, how much gas does Halep have left in the tank after what was an extraordinarily physical match, her most physical match of the week against Jess Pegula? <sighs> 
I think Halep's going to earn the signature run. I think I just see the narrative opening up where this feels like her best shot at a U.S. Open title. Just look at the rest of the field, who's in it, who's not in it, how the rest of the field is playing right now. She gets this title, gets some momentum going into Cincinnati. I think the signature run is there for her. I think this was the first match where she really didn't play her best and she was able to get through it. Beatrice Haddad Maya has been playing so well now for four consecutive rounds. Can she keep it up for a fifth? I'm going to say no, but man, am I very much looking forward to that match. With that said, let's move over to the action happening in Montreal. Talk about our men's results on the day. How about Hubie Hercots? 5-7-6-3-6-2. You look for Hercots now, 26, uh, five years old, excuse me, into his sixth ATP final of his career. Second at the Masters level, of course, you look for Hoopy now 68 and 36 overall since the start of 2021. So he's winning 65% of his matches. That's how he's been a top 20, top 15 guy during this stretch of time. Of course, you look for him in particular at the Masters events during this stretch of time. He's 32 and 12 at Masters events since the start of 2021. You look for him. He's now made four different semi finals, eight different quarterfinals at the Masters events over the course of the past two seasons, shows up for the big ones. And again, today against Kasparud, he had to do a little bit of everything. In a 5-7-6-3-6-2 victory, you look for Hubie, only made 53% of his first serves, but hit 18 aces throughout the course of the match, won 81% of his first serve points. He was, you know, 21 of 37 at the net, hit 47 winners today against 18 unforced errors. Now, Kasparud was at 34 and 11, so clearly uh, winners to 11 unforced errors. So clearly the statistician was being a little bit kind in terms of the unforced errors he was offering on the course of the day. But, man, Hoopy just took the legs out from underneath Kasparud. He just, again, made, and Kasparud's played two extraordinarily physical matches, certainly uh, in his victories this week for Casper, who, uh, you know, played the three-set match against Roberto Bautista Agud, and, you know, uh, obviously physical first-round match, I thought, for him against Alex Mulchan as well. But look, Hubi just made life easy for himself. The 19 aces all came at opportune moments, and you look for Hubi. He was broken three times throughout the course of the match, but in particular, it was how he managed to break Kasparud, and, you know, the fact that you know, to get the double break, to go up three love against Casper, came up with two passing shots in the course of that game, started being completely disciplined about, okay, if you're going to go to my forehand, I'm just hitting my forehand down the line to your backhand. And there was actually three all, second set, Hubi gets the break to go up 4-3, I believe. And he hits this on-the-run forehand, almost a half volley from the baseline off of a Kasparud approach shot that just happened to land right in the corner baseline alley as a passing shot to set up the break point. Once that forehand landed, he just got a bit more comfortable. And from there, you know, again, consistently just continued to attack the net. And I know it says 21 of 37, but I wonder how many unreturned approach shots or missed passing shots came off the racket of Casper Ruud that would add to that net total that weren't counted by the statistician. Again, for Hoopy Hercots, he's holding over 90% of the time this season, currently at 90.6, now 32-13 and 13 
overall on the year. That's a 70% win percentage, folks. That's how you find yourself ninth in the points race and 10th in the live rankings. And, you know, you look for Hubie now. Again, I mentioned that number at the Masters, a ridiculous 32-12 and 12 overall since 2021. He's made semifinals in, you know, finals in Montreal, semifinals Miami, quarterfinals in Monte Carlo, Madrid, round of 16 in Indian Wells. Who has a better resume than that? in the Masters this season. I don't know if anyone does. Certainly, you know, again, Carlos Alcaraz was probably better at the start of the season. Rafa was more dominant. Well, he lost in the Indian Wells final. Again, I would argue Hubie Hercats has been the most consistent players at the Masters 1000 this season. And, you know, again, it was the ability to... I, I don't know how else to describe this match other than to say go watch it because... Hubie literally did a little bit of everything. Other than the serving and volleying and the success behind the plus one forehand, no two return points for Hubie Hercots looked the same. Sometimes it was stepping up and taking the backhand up the line. Sometimes it was hitting ridiculous on-the-run full-stretch forehand slices to just put that extra ball back in play to draw a Kasparud unforced error. Hubie just did so many different things so well and... You know, he just stays calm. And I thought against Kyrgios, Hubie's the sort of aloof personality, and I say this in the right way, where he's not really worried about what you're doing. He's just kind of focusing on himself and focusing on staying focused throughout the course of a match. And I thought what was so impressive for Hubie Hercats, again, whether it was losing that first set 7-5 or when Kyrgios is doing Kyrgios things throughout the course of their three-set match, Hubie just kind of focuses on himself and says, all right, once my forehand gets going, once I make a ridiculous athletic shot, the crowd's going to get behind me, and from there, I'm going to rock and roll. And after winning the second set, 6-3, uh, six, Hoopy rocked and rolled. And again, three-set victory for him now into a second career Masters final where he's going to take on Pablo Carreño Busta. Carreño Busta outlasting Dan Evans, 7-5-6-7-6-2. Evans was up 4-1 in the second set only to see Carreño Busta narrow that deficit. And, you know, for Carreño boost of 43 winners against 34 unforced errors, 25 win, uh, of 35 at the net, won 79% of his first serve points. He was just a little bit better than Dan Evans. I thought he hit his backhand pass a little bit better and was able to pass Evans a few more times than Evans was able to reciprocate when in defensive positions. But again, this was a very measured, very physical extraordinarily uh, extraordinarily fun affair. Like, again, every point delivered. No two points were crafted similarly, except for the fact that, in particular, in the second set breaker and throughout the course of set number two, when Evans was approaching, he just was approaching to the Cranio Busta backhand, and he was forcing Cranio Busta to have to come up with the goods. Now, again, credit to Cranio Busta, who was able to do so at the start of the third set and just was relentless in not hitting his forehand in the same side of the court two times in a row. But, you know, Dan Evans made this a fight. And certainly for Dan Evans, second career Masters 1000 uh, semifinal for him. But Cranio Busta now, a signature victory, uh, certainly for him. It's his second final, third, well, second final of the season. I'm not counting the ATP Cup. But his first Masters 1000 final of his career. And with this run, he's back up to 15th in the points race, 16th in the live rankings. 
31 years old, and again, into a Masters 1000 final, and couldn't have come at a better time. As you look coming into this week, Carreno Busta was 21-17 and 17 overall on the season, had only made three total quarterfinals, and, you know, yeah, had a good run in Barcelona, but, you know, loses first-round Wimbledon, first-round Roland Garros, and, you know, loses straight sets in the fourth round of the Australian Open to Matteo Berrettini. He needed this run, needed this to build the confidence coming in. And again, if the 31-year-old's healthy, he's just a tough out. You're going to have to play your best tennis. You're going to have to do something special if he's serving as well as he had this weekend. If he remains as locked in, if the backhand's not spraying on him, if he's able to assert himself with his forehand, and he had to stay patient, but again, was excellent against Dan Evans tonight, and you look for Pablo Carreño Busta, yes, 31 years old, but he's won 65% of his matches since the start of 2021, and, you know, with this run this week, 26 and 17, back up to that 60% win clip on the year, which he's now done three consecutive seasons, and, you know, again, only four times in his career. It's It's been a good run for Pablo Carreño Busta this week. Just a stark reminder of physically the sort of challenge that he presents. And if you're asking me to power rank those guys, late 20s, mid 30s, that lost generation, you know, RBA is probably number one, even though he's a little bit older than that. But I'd go Carreño Busta two, probably Schwartzman three, and then, I don't know. Dimitrov, four. His upside's probably a little bit higher than Schwartzman's, but Schwartzman a little bit better week in, week out. Maybe you throw Dan Evans in at the number five spot. I mean, it's him, Ramos Vinolas, Krajinovich, like Karatsev. Those are your mid-20 late. I mean, obviously, Nishikori injured right now, but that's the lost generation. That's where they're at right now. Can you tell me someone right now is definitively better than Carreño Busta? Again, maybe Bautista Agut, but outside of that, I don't know if I can point to anyone specifically. Good run from PCB this week, and again, sets up a final between he and Hubi Hercots. Carreño Busta actually a 2-1 to one career head-to-head advantage. They played in a challenger in 2015, three-set win for Carreño Busta. 2021, a 6-6 six and six win for Carreño Busta at last year's Cincinnati Roundup. Of 16, and they played at the end of the season indoor in a final where Hercots beat Carreño Busta 6-3, so they've split their two head-to-head matches on the hard courts last year. Look, Hubie's best right now is better than Carreño Busta's. I just think on these courts in particular, how Hubie can hit that kick serve so far off outside the court on the ad side allows him to hit a first volley to the open space, which he does as well as anyone. And, you know, again, with the height that the ball bounces to on these courts kind of sits up in his strike zone. I actually think he's going to love that Carreño Busta inside-out forehand, taking it early on the rise, driving his backhand down the line, taking advantage of Carreño Busta's return position. Look, PCB served well. He hits the T-serve particularly well on the ad side, which, of course, exposes that Hercots forehand. But I'm riding Hubie. I mean, look, first Masters 1000 final for Carreño Busta for Hubie. He's a big match player. And you look for Hubie Hercots overall in his career now. Hubie Hercots, again, into the, I believe, sixth tour-level final of his career. He's 5-0. and in tour-level finals thus far. He's a primetime performer. I expect to see primetime Hubie emerge once more. But with that said, it's your update on Saturday semifinals north of the border. Now, of course, worth noting, Ben Shelton into another challenger final in Chicago into the top 250. Again, it's when, not if, he's going to make his top 100 appearance. Of course, a little Coco Vandeweghe 
versus Bernardo Pera at the Concord 125K happening this week as well. Plenty of fun action. Cincinnati Qualies underway. We're going to have plenty of talk to talk about on tomorrow's show, and we will be back to do just that. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout-out, as well, to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thank you.